This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia ora koutou and welcome into another episode of Half Measures. As you may have guessed from the episode title, this week we are once again diving back into our timeline review of the Star Wars movies with The Last Jedi. And here comes the parade, the man who's always got his head in his cockpit. It's Dan Wiling King. Kia ora Dan. General Hugs, how are you? I can hear you. Can you, can I, you hear I, me? I'm, I'm holding for General Hugs. I can hear him. Can he hear me? Uh, look, I was always going to crack that joke. I mean, it was too obvious. And also apologies for the uh, the original line. You can thank Carrie Fisher's delivery of that line for that intro as well, Dan. Um, here we go again. Indeed. Indeed. It's, uh, it's It's been a real journey with these Star Wars movies. And that's, it's funny, isn't it? Because... I feel like even like I always get inspired to rewatch Star Wars, but it's such a different experience when you know that you're going to come on the pod and kind of deep dive into it. It really makes me sort of think differently about it. Like it's it's not just a, a casual watch on a Sunday afternoon. It becomes quite a what what what's my sort of critics review of this? Like where's it working? Where is it not? Have my views changed over the years? That's right. There's, I think there's lots to unpack in this one. Oh, there really is, and I think doing it so far you know so here we are six years later this is you know 2017 i i think i feel like time has allowed me to get over the hype and i can take a measured view just as you did with the force awakens you know in terms of that rewatch quality so it'd be really interesting to see where we fall mm. with with this one uh shall we jump should we jump in no no you go. yeah 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 no no i was just gonna say i think i think the last jedi is almost kind of the most controversial as well isn't it because of the of the last three movies. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to diving into this. Yeah. Oh, definitely the most controversial. And I think that will come up as, as we walk, as we walk through it. Um, so, so as, as we kick off with this movie, Dan, the first thing I want to say to you after, after the opening crawl, which is, which is, which is fine. There's nothing in there that sort of was sort of like quite as profound as Luke Skywalker has vanished. The, the start so that famous pan, once the credits have gone, what's going to happen? The zoom down to the planet with all the ships coming past was not effective for me at all. And I'll go on the record now and say that is the worst post-credits opening 30-second scene straight after credits of any Star Wars movie. It didn't work for me. It's 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 really hard to talk about this movie, I think, because I feel like there's just so much I want to chop and change. And... I feel like this is going to come up frequently throughout this movie. But I want to temper that with, I think my view has changed for the positive. Yeah. But I think there is there there is a lot here which I don't think works. And it's a shame because there's good in this. I can feel it. Oh, there's, there is a lot of good. But yeah, I just, I it really... Um... It really irked me watching it this time, as you say, sort of watching it. No, I'm going to talk about it, paying maybe more critical attention, just sort of thinking, this isn't, you know, this isn't the Star Destroyer flying overhead. This isn't the pan down and then, you know, that Empire or Jedi or, or, or even The Force Awakens or even some of the prequels. I feel like it, it wasn't an effective, uh, it wasn't a big 
astonishing opening and it just was a little i don't know it just just was weak but hey once i got past that and then we get into that whole um you know the the star destroyers arriving in the sky now that is effective that's i mean no one wants to look up and see that um that w- that was good and then of course the arrival of that um what's the sh- the, sh- the dreadnought um the dreadnought mm. i mean that's that's quite a ship Mm-hmm. I, I think you're right. Like it's it's just not on par with what we're used to in terms of opening up a, a Star Wars movie. And I think it, it kind of gets to it once we kind of get to the bomber run part. But it almost kind of could have been better to kind of like start there and then kind of like flick back to the what, what's going down on the ground. I've got more criticism about the bomber scene. The resistance bomber scene, I'm not a fan of that either. I mean, I like the old world war ii style of it and there's some sort of but it seems i don't know there's something so weak about the fact that they all just bumped into each other and went down like dominoes it's like it was like a Uh, comedy well okay all right let's let's let me roll up my sleeves ball first of all how we can't have this is jumping forward a little bit we can't have um princess leia freezing in in the cold you know deadness of space and then on the flip side having someone like trying to manually release some some bombs from the bomber kind of being exposed to open space lying on a platform not sort of suffering any damage from being exposed to open space like it doesn't make any sense i think the the bomber in in itself is like it's not I, i would probably get rid of all of this but if I had to kind of work with what I had, I, I think it's kind of a better start than, than the earlier scenes. But it's I, I'm with you. It's yeah. not. It, I I feel like one of the big challenges with uh, the Last Jedi is I feel like there's almost kind of too many characters, and they're trying to sort of give everybody a little bit of screen time and get all these little story elements going. And I just. I kind of really just hated how kind of ham-fisted the whole connection to Rose that was made here, and here's my other half of my necklace, and it's a bit of a, I don't know, an Indiana Jones story to it. It just, I don't, we didn't need it, and I feel like we, we, smarter things could have been done. Yeah, no, some other things could be done. That said, there are some really good things in amongst this. Like, so that first order dreadnought coming in, uh, one of the biggest ships we've seen perhaps since, uh, like a superstar destroyer. I, I love the the bridge of that dreadnought, and I love the stark contrast of the red and the black colours. Mm. And and Captain mm. Kennedy has a really evil arrogance about him that personified the the first order and i thought this was the first straight away this is a the first indication for me oh this is a ryan johnson movie because he's throughout all of his other movies it always has these brilliant sort of color contrasts, and this was a really vivid one and i really did enjoy that much of the scene and i think there's a theme that kind of echoes throughout this whole movie right mm. and it's and and it I think that's what actually, when I think about this movie, when I, I sort of take away the bits that maybe didn't work as well, those components resonate and remain in my mind and, and make me think of more fond memories. Yeah. And there's a couple of other things intermingled in this scene that were funny as well. BB-8 trying to fix everything with all his gadgets and then in the end just sort of mashes his head into the wires. Um, 3PO uh, has an introduction that was great because you know, Leia's just like, wipe that expression off your face, 3PO, and he's just like... <laughs> <laughs> it's uh i thought both of those were, were nice moments for the droids 
Have you seen those memes about um, basically the whole Star Wars saga is basically about the bullying of C-3PO and that all, all <laughs> nine plus movies are about basically just the harassment that he receives? No wonder the eyes go red come episode nine, but let's not jump ahead to that one just yet. Um, James Corden is sitting in uh, an X-Wing in this scene as well. And I know we've talked about people in Star Wars, but I always find seeing him just a little bit jolting because he's 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 a talk show, show host. And, and I just, I, every time I see him, I'm like, oh, it's too, like it was different with Daniel Craig inside the Stormtrooper because you don't see the face. There's something about seeing his face that was too much for me. I agree. And I think, you know, obviously James Gordon has been, you know, quite heavily in the media of late with, you know, some of his behaviours uh, with members of the, the public. Mm-hmm. And I, I much prefer the Daniel Craig approach where it's like, yeah, you can have your Star Wars cameo, but let's not, like, I don't want to see your face. Like, I, I prefer the much more sort of like, oh, that was Daniel Craig, oh, that's cool. And like, you know, someone's going to live out their Star Wars fantasy. But I think if you're, if you're giving them FaceTime, I would rather that sort of stayed more true to Star Wars lore and we don't kind of just patsy up these celebrity offers. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, we should probably move forward because we're already on one scene and we're coming up 10 minutes. So Finn wakes up in the in the bag suit and straight away he's like, where's Ray? And when we cut back to the island, straight away, I, for me, I always feel like, okay, now let's get started. Here we go. We're picking up exactly where we left off in The Force Awakens which we've never had in a Star Wars movie till now, um, with Luke and Ray still standing there, staring, speechless. Um, and for you know, for Star Wars fans at this point, and watching it for the first time, it's been two years. It's been a long wait. And then the instant that Luke <laughs> checks the saber away, we know this isn't going to go the way we thought it would. This is probably the worst scene of the entire movie for me, Paul. Like... Like, I feel like, you know, when I think about it, they're almost trying to echo a little bit of Empire Strikes Back, where Yoda's kind of a bit mysterious, and is, is he sort of the, you know, go and find Master Master Yoda, and he's sort of, he's sort of oh, is this guy like a Jedi Master? But I feel like we know Luke, you know, like, this isn't our first time seeing Luke, like, we've been mm. on a real journey with this guy, and yes, a bunch of terrible things have happened, but I just feel like this isn't the way... Luke Skywalker would behave from what we know about him and I feel like yes you could have done the kind of like grizzled I'm in isolation I don't I don't do this anymore I just feel like throwing the lightsaber was a step too far and then I kind of find it we sort of go on this weird kind of like jerkish kind of mode where he's kind of like doing jumps and flips over the island and spearing fish and hanging off cliffs and it I don't know, it just feels, especially because Ray turns up with Chewie as well, it just, it, it, I don't know, this is, I, I feel like a real missed opportunity to really kind of bring the different eras of Star Wars together, and it, it just, I, I hate this scene every time. Yeah, so this, you're right, this scene costs, so at the end of this podcast we'll do our rankings, as we always do, right? This scene costs this movie a whole placement in the rankings because you're absolutely right it is attempting to do that whole yoda thing but in empire strikes back with yoda he was like i cannot teach him you know and ben kenobi's ghost 
Force Ghost shows up, and within three minutes, Obi Wan's convinced Yoda that maybe he should, you know, give it a go and mm-hmm. train him. Whereas with this movie, we have this Luke go away, you know, and you know all of this negativity that stretches out for the better part of forty-five minutes to an hour, which is is excruciating to watch as a Star Wars fan, and it's made worse now for me over the years because I've seen interviews with Mark Hamill where he he has said publicly he 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 loves Ryan Johnson and there's love a lot about this movie that he absolutely loves, but he struggled with this part too, and he says it's just not what Luke. And if Mark Hamill thinks it's not what Luke would do, then it's not what Luke would do. Yeah, and it's it's almost like because this movie I actually think does try to bring quite a bit of humour to it. And I just kind of, I just find it a bit on the nose in this this whole section. And especially because, again, like, Ray, it's not like Ray's just a random space traveler that's just arrived. She's literally tuned up with the Millennium Falcon. Like, she's got R2-D2, she's got Chewie, she's got your lightsaber. Like, she's got, you know, the three-factor authentication to basically, you know, like, unlock some access to something. And considering this is kind of paying a little bit of that homage, like, you, like we just talked about the Empire Strikes Back, and given what we now know about, you know, Luke's appearance in uh, The Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett, mm. like, there's no reason why we couldn't have had Force Ghost, uh, Obi-Wan, Yoda, a little bit sooner doing the same thing for Luke. Correct. And kind of like, all right, all right, come on, Luke, get back in line or you'll be back on the moisture farm. <laughs> but it's a whole nother season. Um, look, I, I think... I think you're right, and I I noticed it more on this watch than perhaps I have previously, and it does it, it kind of hurts, right? It hurts to see it, and and I I think it's only because I know the ending that's coming, and I know the decisions that Luke's going to make, and and the reasons why he does that later that I allow it to play out, and in my mind I just think we should have done this quicker, but yeah, and also mm-hmm. that X-wing underwater that's going to rust. I mean, I'm sure there's somewhere else he could have hit it. I think too. The, what the thing is, this, this I want to take you on a little journey, Paul. When I was in fourth form at high school, um, you could do like for some reason I found myself doing a drama class for the year, and I remember like the teacher teaching us like improv kind of acting, and I remember like we we're doing this improv stuff, and like you have to like come in and pick up a scene from somebody and one of the first things that you get told is like don't like if someone like like I'll, I'll take it in the office Michael Scott direction if someone points a gun at you don't kind of like turn it into something that's not a gun like you, you kind of have to like follow the intent of the scene and I feel like what was set up here was for Ray to see Luke and I feel like Luke's now come in and completely changed the it's kind of the intent and approach of the whole scene. And it's like, I feel like it's kind of acting 101. And I, I, I kind of appreciate that um, Mark Hamill has come out and said that he didn't like it because it kind of makes me feel a bit better about it. But it's, I think it's just one of the unfortunate things that just kind of hurts the trilogy way more than it, than it needed to. Yeah. I'd almost, I'd almost, you know, we talk about director's cuts, and things that get added in, I would almost appreciate a director's cut where we get less of that and more of the look mm. that we see later in the movie. But um, it is what it is, and I think we've both it's um, yeah we, we're both on the same page here. And as I say, when we do rankings, uh, you could you can 
you can definitely move it down a whole place for where it might have gone because of this specific part of the movie. Um, we're moving across to Snoke's lair now, and I love the the opening of this scene with as Kylo's coming in and Hux is leaving, and the look that Hux gives Kylo as he's leaving, as he's sniggering, as he walks back, as he knows he's in. I mean, this has always been the the two sons and Snoke's the dad, and like I need to be the best son, and like Hux thinks he's got the upper hand on Kylo at this point, and I've always loved the dynamic between Kylo Ren. And General Hux, and um, and then yeah, Kylo comes in, and Snoke really—he's <laughs> really harsh on him. Oh yeah, and again, this is another one of those great color con- color contrast scenes, right? With the, the black and the, the black and the red. Yeah, and oh, yeah. I I think again, like without jumping too far into the future, I actually think that this is sort of our first real kind of like real life experience with Snoke and he's kind of like he actually comes across as a as a great villain but I kind of feel like again that kind of gets undone in the next movie and so it's it's unfortunate that oh and even the way he kind of meets his demise it's but anyway like I I, I'm probably jumping too far ahead I (coughs) I enjoyed the the tension the way as you say the the father-son relationship the competitive nature between Kylo and Hux it's it's really good yeah. Oh, look, I think what happens in the next movie, I think it's 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 important to, to point that out because we are going to get there and we do know about it now. But um, in that respect, because of what happens in the next movie, I am actually I'm actually glad he meets his demise in this movie because at the time when he met his demise in this movie, I was absolutely shocked because I figured that was going to be the big ending of episode nine before I'd seen it. You mm. know? So, so, um, so yeah, it's interesting. And also seeing Snoke now, having you know, we saw Andy Circus play uh, a part in Andor last year. I appreciate the, the 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 role of Snoke even more now. That great voice he does, but that taunting, that taunting, comparing him to Vader, putting him down, calling his mask ridiculous, saying it's a child in a mask, and then he even gives him a little sort of tickle of forced lightning for his troubles as well. I mean, it's no wonder he went out into that lift and smashed his mask at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I, I think there's there's some really great kind of tension building here. And I think this is actually where the, really where the movie actually starts to get really, like, really good. Like, you know, compared to sort of the, the complaints we've had about this first part, this, this is this is a great scene and, and great part of the movie. Yeah, it is. And it really sets the tone. And this 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 whole room of Snoke's Lair is, as you say, not just great colour contrast, but is also for me, far more impressive than anything we've seen in terms of evil lair in terms of the, what the emperor would have had until this point. I thought this was a really, a really great environment for us to have that scene and the, and the guards, well, we're going to, we'll, we'll see them later. Of course we go back um, to the Island of Achto. Is that how you pronounce it? I'm not sure. And, you know, Ray is still, chasing around luke i did think that the fishing scene was uh pretty cool i remember seeing it on the big screen and thinking it looked visually quite good um how he sort of jumps across on that thing and um and does that but for me the scene gets a bit better when we're at the tree and then luke comes in and he actually rather than being all negative nancy he's uh who are you where are you from why are you here and he's actually like now actually engaging and it's starting to pick up here Mm. Yeah, it's 
I think this sort of goes into the earlier comment that this whole um, finding Skywalker and this scene is just too long overall. And I think we needed to get to this part, this point sooner. And I think because this is a long movie, right? And there's a, there's a lot of kind of um, fat in here to be trimmed out. Yeah, I think you're right. Actually, on that this note, because we always talk about trailers and the impact of trailers and how much we love trailers, and we kind of didn't with this one. But one of the things this trailer. The, the fourth, so the the last Jedi trailer and the teaser trailer did was actually send us down the wrong path in terms of what we thought we might get with with Luke in terms of um, some of the the dialogue. The only indication that we had that maybe Luke was over it was that whole it's time for the Jedi to end. But there was other things in the trailer that gave the impression that we were going to see a classic Yoda training Luke moment revisited. And of course, mm. because we don't get that, it's um it's probably double double the pain i will never train another generation i came here to die you know he's at an all-time low and then it was really interesting how we see leia feeling that pain as well because that's our that's our um correct me if i'm wrong dan but possibly our second indication of leia's force abilities in a movie context at least since empire when she could feel Luke was mm. hanging off the end of Cloud City. You know, this is the second time we've seen her indicate her force abilities, which I thought was quite cool. Yeah, no, that's. I think you're right. Um, Poe po, po getting that smack in the mouth from Leia. <laughs> Carrie Fisher would have absolutely loved that scene. I mean, you could just imagine how much fun she would have had um, with that. And as they're arguing, suddenly the First Order show up and they can... They can track them through light speed. And that is a game changer. And I don't know about if you're aware of this, Dan, but for anyone who's not, a bit of trivia that kind of isn't trivia, trivia because it's it's right in front of your face. And unless you're paying close attention, you've probably missed it. But hyperspace tracking, which got a lot of criticism from fans, is not an idea that Ryan Johnson dreamed up. He got it from the same place that we all would have seen it if we were paying attention, and that's in Rogue One. If you go back to Rogue One and where Andor and Jin are looking for the Death Star plans, as Jin's going through the file names, she's going navigational systems, Black Saber, hyperspace tracking, Stardust. So it was there. But of course, she didn't get the chance to warn the rebels in the future because, of course, she died before the end of Rogue One. But there was an early indication all the way back in Rogue One that the Empire were looking at hyperspace tracking. So I missed that the first time around. I've got to be honest. I feel like I remember that being a, an issue at the time, but I feel like there's just so many other things with this movie that it's kind of so low, so far down my list of problems <laughs> that I'm, I'm just I'm willing to let it slide. You let it slide, okay. Um, another character shows up in this scene, Admiral Akbar, um, which was really cool to have him sort of back and and driving the ship because you know on the subject of Rogue One with with Admiral Radis. Um, I remember there was also a lot of commentary at the time that saying, if you're going to have a Mon Calamari driving the ship, why can't it be Akbar? We all know Akbar, but um, it was nice to have him back in here. And, you know, Leia's given the orders. It's starting to feel more familiar now with these two characters driving the, the resistance forward. I think, too, the other interesting thing in this um, this part of the movie is I think once we sort of start seeing sort of Kylo and he can obviously sense his, his mother princess leia being on the ship it's interesting to see i think in in this movie i feel like boy maybe i'm kind of almost talking myself out of it as i as i talk about it but i feel like i always think of kylo as like 
a, a strong kind of Sith Lord. But he's almost like he's, I guess when you think about it, like his, his yes, he kind of like commands some power and, you know, his people kind of respect him from a the First Order point of view, but his actual lightsaber fighting in The Force Awakens wasn't that great. No. Um, he doesn't, um, he obviously sort of like stops firing. I actually, and I actually thought for a moment, is he going to take out those um, TIE fighters on the side of him to help protect his, his mother? But it's interesting. I really noticed on this watch how conflicted he is. Mm. And he's so conflicted through this whole movie. And you can tell, obviously, he started down a, a dark path. But it's, it, it is just interesting how 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 much more obvious it's going to become. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. And I think this, because we talk a lot about the criticisms about how the three sequel movies are out of kilter with each other. I think this is one thing that Ryan Johnson does really well is he's he's taken Kylo Ren having, having put the saber through Han Solo and then see Snoke still react and give him all the insults. And he's like, mm. what, you know, he's like, I, 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 I killed my father. What more can I do here? That at this point he's, he's really hesitant He's not. He can't bring himself to take the shot when he senses that it's Leia, and then of course the Tie Fighters do it for him. And and I remember thinking again in the cinema the first time I watched this when we saw the ship exploding and Leia. I thought I genuinely thought Leia was gone at this point in the movie, and I was just I was just in shock at how early it was. And yeah, I I kind of wish that was the end of Leia, and like obviously. Um, and I love Carrie Fisher. I don't want her to be out of the movie, but that would have been such a shock factor. It would have just been so disturbing. And I think, you know, unfortunately, obviously, Carrie Fisher passes away in real life um, before sort of they, they fully finish sort of the, the third and final movie. But I think that it would have just been like, oh, my God, like they're really putting these characters at risk. And I think it would make sense that, you know, if, if the bridge gets blown up not everyone survives and i think to kind of have that superman moment where she kind of comes back alive and then um flies back to safety it's just it just felt like too on the nose like because we haven't i i've always kind of liked the story that leia is force sensitive mm. um and obviously we, later on we get a bit of a bit more history um, not in this movie, but around her sort of training and what she's done with Luke, and actually she's you know got a lot of these these qualities as well. But yeah, this is our first time really seeing her use her her powers, and I just don't think like we've never had the Force operate really like this. And to see her kind of like bust out the Superman move again doesn't work for me. Okay, so we're going to have our first big disagreement on this one, Dan. So one of the questions we always ask in these reviews is, what would I change in this movie? One of the things. I would have changed in this movie is I wouldn't have had Leia be unconscious for as long as she is in this movie. Cause obviously following this scene, she's then out of it for a long period of time. And I felt like it's a lost opportunity to have her in the movie. And of course, because, because Carrie Fisher died, you know, after filming this, but before it was released, it, it feels even more apparent for me. I think you're right. I think if, uh, if the ship being blown up and her being killed in that moment would have, a really strong, uh, a really strong impact, and would be a moment to remember in, in that respect. If it were later in the movie, um, I think you're right. But for me, as I said, I thought she was gone, and I just remember being in the in the cinema and and watching that scene. And then when she opens her eyes, 
and uses the force and then the layer thing kicks in i for me I, this is one of the most incredible moments in, in all of star wars i've i never foresaw anything like that ever happening in a star wars movie it feels different to a you know someone f- flying through the vacuum of space like that using the force is nothing we've seen you'd have to go into comics to sort of uncover that kind of thing before i thought it was really bold and brave and it just because i thought she was gone i think it really hit me mm-hmm. like i like my cup of tea made the same way every day paul like i <laughs> so do i yeah i'm, I'm not up for spicing it up at this this late in the in the tr- in the in the saga so well let's hope we don't have force healing or anything like that but um we'll come to that in another movie um so back to luke and ray luke's now on the falcon and uh he walks in you know and the, the cockpit lights go on there was something nice about seeing luke just briefly back in the the cockpit of the falcon because of course he's been on many an adventure in that ship um and then he goes out the back and r2d2 wakes up straight away they start arguing i love this whole scene this is this is a great moment and i think this again i think you know we we all love r2d2 and we don't speak in beeps and boops but we all understand beeps and boops <laughs> so does Luke. and and i think we just really like it's like the tone and the pitch of them is just so perfect that you you know you can feel r2's sadness you can feel um his kind of frustration and also his happiness and it's, it's it, i think it's incredible that that we we can feel that through through these sounds nothing can make me change my mind he says r2 then pulls out the layer message to obi-wan kenobi from a new hope and some and that <laughs> was he said that's a really cheap move or something i mean that hits home and breaks through more than anything that Ray has attempted to do out in the rain and the cold. It's that moment where it really reminds him and puts things in context. And I think it was, again, it was a really nice way to obviously bring in a scene that obviously the audience is familiar with, but it, it it's, it's a powerful use of it. It's not, it's not shoehorned in it. It works for the scene and it does change. And Luke exits the Falcon and says, Tomorrow morning, team's call, 9 a.m. I'll see that, you know, like, it, it's it's all going on. I actually found that scene even more powerful, too, after the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, because yes. I just felt like such a deeper connection to to Leia and just the, the meaning behind it. And, yeah, I, I, again, like another great catalyst sort of move forward, but it's a shame it's so sort of stretched out across so many other misfires. Yeah. Now we're going into new territory in this movie, into a new scene. Obviously, with Leia out of the picture, um, we have a new a new commander um, played by Laura Dern, who instantly is putting Poe in his place with no, you know, she, she's got she's not cutting any corners or putting any punches. She's really putting him in his place. And then Finn, Finn is going on his own little mission, and of course, this is where he encounters Rose. And if there's one thing I love, John Boyega, the more I watch this movie, the more I appreciate his acting abilities. When he gets called a resistance hero, <laughs> there's something about the way he, like there's an act, there's part of him is the same face he gave probably when he found out he was going to be in a Star Wars movie, the pride in which he gets. And he's sort of like 
may the force be with you. He just thinks he can say these things now because he's he's a big deal. He's a hero. I, I think he's great. Yeah, I, I think this is some of the comedy elements that I think do really work. And I think, you know, you could really see them playing out in real life, right? Because it's kind of like you're getting a bit of self-props. I think I, I feel really sad for uh, Ro, um, Rose and, and Poe because I feel like such great characters – but I just feel like this was not so bad, but I, I've got some real concerns about the, the whole Canto Blight situation, and I would just love to kind of put a put a big X through all of that and get rid of it. I wish we used um, Poe and and Rose and um, and Finn just as a better in, – in a better way. And I have always struggled, and I still struggled now with this new commander – and I and I feel like I know that like there was a lot of internet backlash at the time, and that like there's a whole bunch of sort of like like just weird stuff around it. But I just always found it frustrating that like on one hand she's got this annoying like you know team member who's kind of like thinks he knows best and she needs to put him in his place. On the flip side, as a viewer, she's giving us no view of what her plan of attack is and so I can't help but feel frustrated at her that she doesn't have a plan and so it's making me side with Poe and I just feel like actually as a leader maybe you just need to communicate a little bit. Correct there's some real comms management issue here because by the end of it by the time we get to the end of this whole scene which we, we won't jump to but we do find out that she did have a plan and it's actually a great plan but and that's the annoying part. Why not share that with us up front so that we can all go on the journey and buy in? Um, because as you know, as a, as a as a member of the project team, if the sponsor doesn't bring me with him, then uh, yeah, I, I'm going to be confused. And, and no wonder you've got kind of like you know Poe becoming kind of unlikable in this because he's just kind of like hotshot piloting, sort of running off, but he doesn't like. His wings feel clipped the whole time. And it's it's just kind of, I feel like it's a frustrating dynamic that didn't need to be frustrating. That's right. And and I think on the subject, because of course at this point, you know, we, as you say, Finn and Rose are off to Canto Bite. Canto Bite, on reflection, having watched it, doesn't actually last for that long. I think in the movie, the first watch, it felt a lot longer. And I don't think it's necessarily a weak story. It's just... The problem is with the story is that it's being cut in between scenes with Luke and Ray and Ray and Kylo and and, and 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 the battle with Snoke. And that is where the big story is. And we want to stay with that. And so particularly as a first watch, the Kanto Bite just felt like it went on for a lot longer than it was. And it felt so inconsequential because the whole requirement for to getting a code breaker and having to go to this place and get was a little contrived to try and beat this hyperspace problem um hyperspace hyperspace tracking and so contrasting that to what was going on with luke ray and kylo ren it's never going to compare and so that's where the scene suffers and i think especially because they're they're going after this specific code breaker they don't actually get that code breaker they kind of like they bring in maz katana at one point which is actually kind of cool and i kind of like the idea that like maybe they need to get to maz and kind of like help her out and that would have been a great way to kind of loop her back in but i think you're right like it's not a long scene but it feels long and it feels kind of like it feels unnecessary and over i think contrived is is a good word for it like it's 
again, I, I would I would try to cut it out. Or I kind of wish that we actually sent um, Finn, Poe, and Rose as a bit of a combo to do it together with um, Commander Darcy kind of like actually laying out her plan. Like I, I feel yeah. like it would have made it feel a little bit more cohesive. Correct. No, I think you're right. And I think uh, having Poe, Finn and, and Rose together would have really solidified that and given it more, okay, now you've got my attention. There's no disrespect to Finn and Rose at all. It's just, it's it's the fact that Poe and what's going on upstairs on the ship isn't satisfying either. So those two things could have easily been uh, allayed by moving Poe mm. from one scene to the other. So I think that's a really good call. I think I, th- I, I like the look of Canto by I think I, uh, the look of it, the music, I think Benicio Del Toro is, uh, in terms of his performance in the body actions and the way he talks and acts in this, is also very good. But as I say, I just need this scene to play out because what I want is to get back to the island because Ray is now um, being able to, to to have some sort of force connection with with Ren, which is we've never seen in Star Wars before at this point as well, and so um, how they're able to see each other um, is 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 quite unique, and it's a really uh, long distance phone call. It's a really interesting way to keep people connected across the galaxy. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I, I think. Uh, <laughs> I didn't. I, I liked the way they kind of um, connected here, and they kind of gave us opportunities for the two characters to interact without kind of being in the in the same space. Um, I think what's kind of interesting here is I feel like Ray, and I, I guess this makes sense in the next movie, but like Ray's force abilities just seem so strong from the get go. Yeah, and it's out of sync with everything we've seen around Jedi training to date and you know there's always everyone is always harping on about too old for training too old for training right (laughs) you're you're way too old mate but you're you're a super user that's right yes there was um yeah the force uh, sorry the phantom menace yeah the council's like the boy's too old you know clearly anakin at at whatever age he was like 10 yeah it's too old luke no he's too old ray but you know luke's reaction to ray when he starts teaching her um how he explains the force to her and there's some humor in there and then he says you know i I, i've never i've seen this raw strength once before in ben solo it didn't scare me any then it does now he if luke's saying i'm real impressed then we're impressed too i think too like again this is where both the star wars movie is its own greatest asset and worst enemy because when i think about uh a a young Jedi Master, Luke Skywalker, in the book of Boba Fett, right? Like when he's kind of building his his school for kids who can't read good, and he's he's real, like you can like he's 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 committed to the faith of of the Jedi Order. Like he's so serious, and I obviously his his heart is broken, and he's kind of down a deep spiral of of depression to to get to this point but i just i just feel like the loop that we see here where he's kind of you know like tickling ray's hand with a a a piece of flax or he's kind of making fun of you know how to be a jedi just feels so different from the loop that we all know and love i again I, i i go the other way for me i thought i needed that after the go away chucking the lightsaber i needed to see luke having a bit of fun with the force the same way that yoda was kind of winding luke up on dagobah i I kind of 
I know what you're saying, um, but I I do feel differently about it, and so I I kind of I like the way he's making that relationship, and there's a bit of there's almost a bit of Mac Hamill actually comes through in that scene, maybe a little bit more than Luke. I know that would be my one sort of, but I think overall I love that. I think the you know they they, they counter that with some of the darkness you know you went straight to the dark and you didn't even try and stop yourself you know they're, they're, they're showing that she could be going down a dark path which of course in the next movie we'll, we'll we'll explore even more and i also like some of the dialogue here um that really ties together all nine movies with luke when luke starts referencing darth sidious and the training of darth vader um that brings almost all three trilogies together because luke is talking about a character from the prequel and i really just one simple line but i really like that too mm-hmm. it is interesting young kanawa that is for sure like there's there, yeah. there's many different takes on all of these like where they both and as i say i think they they sometimes work to their advantage of sort of expanding the universe and other times if you are not aware of the wider universe that it can be a bit frustrating or yeah I think uh, we get our first because the 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 burning down of the Jedi Temple, or, or sorry, Luke's Jedi Temple. Um, we get this gets told to us in two different parts in the movie: one from Luke's perspective and one from 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 Ben's or Carlos. And the 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 way Luke describes it, of course, with Ben burning down the temple and taking a handful of students with him. That's the you know that's the start of that. How are this is what the Knights of Ren are and. Again, not jumping ahead to the next movie, but having seen them previously, I would have loved a bit more about the Knights of Ren. Maybe mm. it's a it's a great opportunity, right? Like, and I feel like again, it's it's interesting because obviously, with all of the new Star Wars content we have these days, it's very much sort of focused on that sort of time right after Return of the Jedi. I do think there is still a lot of stories to be told about, like the Knights of Ren, and you know, it would be great to see a you know a, a limited series with the Knights of Ren, like what a, what a, there's probably some really cool stories in there that would further enhance this part of the trilogy. Yeah. With, with the Canto bite bit largely done, cause now they're on their way back. Uh, from here on in this movie for me is absolute quality. So we're at the halfway mark. So it's actually, there's a lot here to go, to go forward with, but Ray and Kylo's force connection, uh, has led Ray down into that water pit reflective mirror, creepy place, whatever that is and and connecting through the force and then luke sees what's going and he he stops it he interrupts it that was a really powerful moment and at this point ray's patience because she's been pretty patient with master skywalker you have to come back and say she's she's really lost it and so she forces luke to use the force by actually attacking him and he's got no alternative but to defend himself at the very least and i really thought this was again if she'd done this maybe 30 minutes earlier in the movie, maybe we would have got somewhere quicker, but I thought this was a really great scene. Yeah, look, I agree with you. I think, I, I couldn't agree more. Like, it's, there is so much goodness in the way that this is sort of like bringing the story about. I just think it needed, like we're saying, it needed to get to this point sooner. Yeah. And the the vision that we get from, because when Ray and, Ren and Ray are talking about his perspective about why things went bad with Luke, that's a very different version, you know, with Luke looking enraged with these crazy eyes. Mm-hmm. And we've all, and we also see the green saber, bit of a cameo. We won't see that again until the Mandalorian um, and having the way he was going to go after the, you know, that was 
a very powerful moment for me. Yeah, and then the way Luke describes it, um, the last thing I saw was a scared boy who was failed by his master. This is giving me more explanation about why Luke has gone down such a bad path. It's not enough to explain all of the stat and the checking of the saber, but it is at least giving me the context I needed. I needed it almost before the checking of the saber somehow. And it's funny, eh, because this is actually like incredibly deep stuff, right? Like trying to tell stories from different people's perspectives, trying to like understand their different experience in the moment and what that kind of looks like. And it's maybe a little bit too deep. Like, like I like it, but it's kind of out of context with the wider Star Wars at times because it's it's really trying to get you to think about the way that people behave in these situations. Yeah. Um, but I, like, I'm with you. I think this is this is great world and character building. And then with so Ray's now she's out of here. She's on the Falcon. Luke goes back to the tree library with a torch. He's intending on destroying it. Um, and Yoda shows up. And it's an amazing moment. And I remember in the cinema again, first time seeing it, the impact of just because the camera pans behind Yoda, which was a really mm -hmm. great way to an, another great directing moment. And he's like, I'm going to end it all. I'm burning it down. And then he can't quite bring himself to do it. And so Yoda does it for him by using the force to get the lightning to strike down. In it. And he's just sitting there. He's just laughing. He's having a great time. I feel this is classic Yoda, right? Like he's he's still having fun even as a Force ghost, yeah. which, which is cool to see. And I think you're right. Like this was a great movie, a great uh, moment in the movie. Um, and because you just you're like, are we going to see Yoda? Are we going to get the Force ghost version? And it, it was cool to see him. Yeah, and just all the dialogue. I mean, Frank Oz, the voice is mm. immaculate. It's the same as it was in 1980. You know, Skywalker, miss you, have I? You know, he, he doesn't care about these books. He's like, yeah, he's he's the most. When I think of the Jedi, the most, you know, he's he's the uh, the sensor. He he's the one at the top of the chain, and he's like, I don't care about these old texts. I don't even enjoy reading them. Like he's like, yeah, yeah, I haven't read them for years. You no. know, like I don't need the bear book. They were <laughs> they weren't page turners. Um, <laughs> yeah, and hearing Yoda talk about Ben Solo and Ray and using those names is again mm -hmm. another thing that ties this whole um nine movie saga together beautifully and it's already tied together it doesn't need to be tied together but there's something about hearing luke talk about sidious and yoda talk about ben solo that really makes all of this feel cohesive and it's just important mm. that, those are good shouts I, I i think you're right like this is a this is a critical moment in the film yeah and then pass on what you've learned once again the greatest teacher failure is this is great writing from Ryan Johnson, great directing from Ryan Johnson. It's a wonderful scene of them together, just as they were in Empire, what, uh, 37 years ago. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. It's incredible. Um, where are we going now? Okay, so we're back on the ship. We're back up with um, Laura Dern and Poe's Pose walking in and someone's like, let's not have a scene. He's like, no, let's. And then he's like, Aldo, cut it, lady. Um, and he's... Again, just like Ray, he's had enough and he's he's going in marching around. And before we know it, Leia's up and about and she's stunning Poe without any hesitation. I kind of appreciated the the Leia stun. And and contextually given everything that's happened and how annoying everyone is in that ship, I'd be stunning everyone. Everyone's getting a blast right now just for being annoying and not sharing their plans, going above, you know, not following orders. So I think maybe more people should have got stunned. Yeah, I think so as well. Like Leia's not having any of that. 
um, yes. even though we we quickly learned that Holdo and and uh, Leia both very much like Poe and they both respect him and they both see the potential in him. Um, and as as they're going their separate ways, there's something about Laura Dern's smile when she says, may the force be with you. That is very I real. Think. It's a very real moment. It's almost like, oh, wow, I'm in a Star Wars movie and I'm getting to talk to Princess Leia. And I think she almost, it's almost like how she, did you spot the scene? Because it's been very famous in the, where she gets caught up in the moment with the blaster and she actually mouths the word pew, pew. You can actually see her. <laughs> yeah. You can see her mouth. It's, I think I think this is the second time she got caught up in the moment, which I look, I'm not going to uh, have a go about because I think I would have been way worse than that if I had the chance. Um, I actually think it, it humanizes her a little bit more. Yeah. Like, and it's probably the first, it's the first moment where I'm like, all right, Darcy, like, you're okay and I, I i appreciate what what you're doing here um but it's um, it's i guess another thing that's really got me thinking about too is and i think this comes out a little bit more in some of the, the star wars books i've read this year around you know when you're part of the the rebel alliance like i guess it is very much a ragtag group of people like it is very volunteer based yeah. it is you know come and go at your leisure but there's kind of some, you know, loose order that we try to follow. And it kind of probably makes sense that Poe would be like, look, I'm a, I'm a top gun. I, 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 I've earned some respect here. But he's, he's still sort of a, a growing leader himself. But it's, it's just sort of interesting when you think about it in the wider, the wider context of the Star Wars universe. Oh, no, 100%. 100%. I think top gun is a great, great little um, way that Poe would think about himself. Um the um so we've talked about you know the whole code breaking thing being a bit of a, a force thing but it does give us a few things it does it gives us another scene with people in disguise which is always fun because we've had that with luke and han as stormtroopers and we've had it as cassian and Jin as, as imperial officers it does obviously solve the hyperspace tracking thing which needed to be done and it also um it also Dan, affords us a scene with the all but forgotten captain phasma again another just such misused character but again i appreciated the scenes in this movie and that they finally got to have a showdown um and it was a little bit more worthy than some of the uh the previous attempts but again i I just feel like phasma is the prince that was promised and we've never really found out too much more about her but we've had this conversation many times right like you can there's actually not time to tell a story about every single character in the star wars universe but i do feel like phasma was kind of put on display like we were going to learn more about her yeah oh she absolutely right from the start and so uh, like I almost didn't even, you know, jumping ahead, I didn't, almost almost wasn't convinced that she was gone in the scene where she falls. I thought maybe that the the chrome dome stuff would have protected her, um, mm-hmm. but but hey, um, there's there is so much story in this movie that then there's not enough time. To, there's, there's already no. so much story in this movie. There's almost enough here for two movies in some respects in terms of story content. Yeah, for sure. And I think this is again, and I, and I feel like I've banged on about Phasma a lot in the past, but Phasma is a tried and true warrior in the in the book that came out about her. And it's, I just don't know if Finn could take her out alone. I, I feel like it really would be, like, it feels like it, like, Phasma's the type of person who I feel like would take 10 to 15 people top of their game to take her out but the way it kind of plays out in this is, is a bit kind of like 
you got lucky. Yeah, and Finn is Finn's rolled up, and he's there's history there that goes back a long way. Um, I would love a book or a comic or, or something to explore Finn as a stormtrooper pre force awakens and his journey through that and oh, i think that would be a fascinating insight but um phasma has this i don't know this this staff almost like the beskar one we saw in mandalorian um but chrome dumb gets taken down by the rebel scum um too easy too easy right um he did have the high ground um but it was yeah but it was the result that we wanted even if we didn't want the end of phasma um particularly because Finn is an absolute favorite character of mine through the, this trilogy. And I feel like in this movie, we just don't get enough of him in scenes that truly matter. And so I, I was glad that he had this, this moment. Ray, meanwhile, she's, she's ejecting from the Falcon and just landing into Snoke's ship and is met by Kylo. Now that is as bold a move as we have seen, I think since Luke, um, you know, went and found Vader to go see the Emperor. And we even have the same sort of, you know, the lift going up to see Snoke is mm-hmm. even similar. But this throne room, it really is a visual spectacle. And and I just again, this whole scene that opens up, this is this is five star cinema, five star writing, five star directing all the way through this whole scene. I think this is one of the one of the two greatest moments for me in this movie and the the choreography and the the filming and the just the visual effects i think is, is so great and I, again just really really love the the color palette and it almost feels like they're on a, a green screen stage right even though it's in the throne room mm. that the shock of the instant kind of demise of snoke the ensuing battle between the the guards and i know there's been a few videos over the years that actually show some of the um i guess some of the fails in that fight scene where there's people that kind of get taken out who haven't actually been hit yet um but in general if you kind of just watch it from a the intent of the scene i think it's really great and i've all like it was so cool to see imperial guards kind of spring into action yeah oh those guards were were real badass and they really give as good as they got there's obviously a bit of scene that happens all before that and i know we it's easy for us to jump ahead to that because for me i think you're right one of the two best for me it's the second best scene in the whole movie for me and we'll come to the first later but this whole play um starts with snoke revealing oh it was actually me who bridged your minds and and i love that because that's clever writing because i'd fallen for the whole bait as well like and we know at this moment when he's telling that to Ray that we're all in trouble and um it's uh it's very clear at this point that Snoke is powerful and that he is very much in control of this room and when she goes for the saber and he just slingshots it around and makes it clip her head on his way back into his I mean, that's that's great too. There- there is a lot here, and I, I was I was wrong to jump straight to the fight scene because I think there there is a, those are key moments that that really matter, and it was such a, a great power play to, as you say for him to kind of be the master of this whole story uh, playing out to date. But we've talked about leaders and how they're communicating and treating their staff, <laughs> the way Snoke's been treating Kylo. Um, he's now so arrogant and feels like he's so much in control that. He thinks he can see everything, but he he doesn't see, uh, for me, what was possibly one of the most shocking moments in this movie was 
Kylo Ren not just taking out Snoke, but actually just cutting him in two using the force from a distance. Like when Snoke falls, you, he's done. You know he's done. That's it. It was just so sudden and so unexpected for me. I thought it was, again, really, really shocking and then now we get into that scene they go back to back and there's almost a bit of a slow motion as they do that it's it's a visual treat ryan johnson delivers everything we could hope for in terms of the fight with these red guards whatever they're called there's some incredible moves some incredible saber action and um the dropped saber catch in the other hand little things like that classic move and then the the, the long ball there's like one where he he sort of like Mm -hmm. catches it and then ignites it right into the eye there's just so much good here Again, it's funny, right? Because I think one being cut in half in Star Wars doesn't mean the end of you. Like, you know, as we know from, you know, spoiler alert, but characters like uh, Darth Maul. I also think that, again, like, and this has come out really heavy in the books um, about how, as a Jedi, when you're fighting, you're actually using the Force to sort of like forecast what the next you know 30 seconds of the fight are looking like so you're always kind of ahead of the game and that feels like being a jedi 101 regardless of whether you're you're for the good guys or the bad guys and that must have been some extra epic level sort of force work to both block the to to block snoke sort of like knowing that was coming the other thing with this whole scene dan the whole time at this point the first time i watch it i'm thinking He's turned. Ben Solo is back. At this point, they're fighting together. I'm presuming once we've once we've dealt with everyone in the room, that actually it's Ben Solo and now Ben and Ray are off together. What about you? That's a really good point. Like it, that throne throne room scene always throws me in that context because just the way that he's working with Ray, the way he's kind of reacting to Snoke, the way that he kind of feels betrayed. It's a uh, it feels like a shift and then we almost sort of quickly flick back, don't we, to, to the old ways. Oh, literally in a heartbeat. He, he's not coming. He's he's now the new supreme leader. The supreme leader's dead. Long live the supreme leader. Um, and then just like, um, well, kind of like Anakin in Revenge of the Sith, he, you know, he's got the hand and he's, you know, join me. And, and then we have Rey and Kylo fighting over anakin's saber and that breaking which again i think is something we haven't seen before so it was a real it was a real shock moment there for me i think it's just another one of the scenes in this movie where greatness could have occurred if that kind of like kind of stuck with a path or kind of you know took some risks but it's almost kind of like they toy with these ideas that they never really land yeah i look i'm I'm not necessarily saying i think it was a mistake I, again i i like the twist because i think the expectation is that he's turned so i didn't have that same sort of feel but um it's the the bigger conversation is we i mean spoilers we ultimately get that of course in the rise of skywalker and it's kind of like where do we because whatever ryan johnson does at this point obviously dictates what happens in the next movie and so that's the decision he's gone with at this point mm-hmm. No, I look, I think overall the throne room is one of my, my favourite scenes in this movie. Maybe, yeah, I think it is one of my favourites, uh, follow, followed closely by a scene that we're about to come up to. Yeah, and we've got Holdo's uh, sacrifice, I guess. And this, so this is, a, this, is, this is a character that's now growing on me. You know, I like the way she's talked after with Leia and, you know, maybe I've understood she had a plan, she just didn't communicate it well. And then she has this incredible move that she 
just thinks I'm going to go to well, I nearly said warp. What's the what's the expression? Hyper, hyperspace. Hyperspace. Um, and do it through the ships. And I think what makes the scene so memorable and striking is that it's all in absolute silence as those first order ships are blown up and, and mm. Snoke's ship is, well, I guess it's now Kylo's ship is, is, is cut in half. Yeah. I, I think this, I think this is, this is another great shout out to the, the sound effects, isn't it? Because it is so impactful the way that the scene is delivered. Yeah. The other, coming back to what we talked about earlier about this relationship between Hux and, and, and Kylo Ren, there's that moment where, Carlo's on the on the floor, and we can see Hux looking at Snoke in two, and he's he starts to reach down for his for his blaster. You know, he's 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 seeing an opportunity here, and then as soon as um as soon as Ren starts to come to, he sort of just moves his hand back into the normal position, and um yeah, Ren reminds him exactly who's in charge. Mm-mm. It's one of those real, like you know, choose your moments. Uh, but uh, there are sort of little uh, humorous things like this, which I do enjoy, particularly from the from the uh, the Empire or the First Order side, because it it kind of just humanizes how uh, treacherous they all are and how kind of always trying to one up and I'm going to be in charge and I'm I'm going to do it through sort of um, evil means. Yeah. And so now, I guess we skip on down to the. The Battle of Crate, um, again, another note on the contrasts. You know, we had the black and the red earlier. Now we've got this brilliant bright white contrast with the red. And it's, it's a definite white. It's, you know, it's not it's not sand, it's salt. And so it's a definite white red contrast, which I think just looks visually, you know, it's got that, it's got elements of the Hoff battle, you know, with the walkers. And there's also some elements of, of like, almost like the Death Star trench run with me with these, I don't know what these ships are, but... They're, they're pretty crazy. Well, they, they, they're kind of like old farming. I think of them as like some sort of farming weird craft that you would use to, I don't know, right. plow some feds, but, fields, but it's got some, some lasers on it for collecting salt. rats or whatever. <laughs> whatever. But yeah, I, this is probably the other scene I think of that always sticks with me is just, I, again, that like you've just said, the contrast just looks so great. And watching this in high resolution on a 4K TV is just so, so good. Oh, this is the this is the treat and this is the this is the moment that really for me again we talked about the scene at the start which sort of brings it down a whole placing for me this is a scene that brings it sort of up a whole placing so it sort of cancels each other out i guess it's it's a real star wars scene there's so much in here we've got the falcon coming in as well to join the party complete with the uh the here they come music from a new hope as they enter the planet yeah with 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 Chewie at the helm. It's classic Star Wars. Finn's having a great time with these rust bucket things until all of a sudden, you know, he is quite clearly on a suicide mission to take out that cannon. And he a hundred percent means to do it until Rose saves him as well. So that's a pretty dark moment for a moment. It's a dark moment for Star Wars, right? Because we don't often deal with those moments and obviously a lot of it's implied and kind of really kind of played out, but it's, it's, I'm with you. It's another moment that really makes you kind of respect Finn more for what he's trying to achieve, and even Rose for how she's trying to sort of help him. Um, yeah. And it's a, it's just a, it's a great moment because we know how ruthless the the first order can be. Hundred percent. And I think now for me, this this next as we move into this, this is this is entirely the best thing in the movie for me. It starts from the moment where Leia is um, 
she says, oh, you know, no one's answering the call. All, all hope is lost. We fought to the end. The spark's gone out. All of that stuff. And you can feel that. And then I'll never forget, especially the first watch, that just that moment of just looking at this this figure walking into the room and Luke walks in and we have this unbelievable moment because we now have Luke and Leia together for the first time since Return of the Jedi. Um, and that's well, obviously Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill. And that's very, very special in the dialogue that they have. You know, I came to face him. My son's gone. Uh, you know, no one's really gone, which we've heard, we hear Luke say again. And then Luke walks out that gate and the visuals on that. And I love the little wink to 3PO on the way. Mm-hmm. That was nice as well. I, I thought it was important to acknowledge him. But Luke walking out that gate and just there's something about the visual on the sky, the, the, again, the contrast of the sky. This this is beautiful. I think, too, the, the very first time I saw this movie, I didn't quite know myself that this was, you know, force projection. Look, Correct. Look like, like obviously he looks different, but I hadn't really placed kind of two and two together to work out what was going on. And I think this is a movie, the more you watch it, the more obvious that all becomes. And just, he does look so different uh, from the from the Luke that we're seeing, who's, you know, in a deep sort of uh, meditation sort of state. But it's, you're right. And like, I even love the moment too of, um, when he gets the lucky dice from the Millennium Falcon, like the so good, so, so another great little fan service moments that connect the whole story and universe together. It's such a good moment, and it's such a. You're right. How did we all, and I think collectively, like most of us, all fell for this force projection? Not not just Kylo Ren. I mean the audience. And yet you're so right. When he walks in, his hair is darker, the goatee mm, instead of the full mm. beard. Like, did we really believe that Luke thought, you know what, I've got time to dye the hair and have a little bit of a trim? And, you know, <laughs> why didn't we see that? The first? I think we were so caught up in the moment that Luke was walking in that our, our brains had given way to our hearts. I mean, that's as poetic as I can get. I mean, there's something going on that none of us spotted it. I think you're right. Um, and it, look, I think to answer the question, there's always time. If Boba Fett has time to kind of repaint his armor <laughs> in between missions, then there's no reason why Luke Skywalker, sponsored by Manscaped, can't you know t- tidy himself up before he arrives on Crete. Just for men, sponsored by. It's um, it's a great scene, and of course there are then there's little giveaways when he's fighting out on the salt when he moves his foot, and there's mm-hmm. no there's no red. I mean, there's there's all kinds of things when you watch it subsequent watches. Um, and then it's, you know, Kylo sees him and, of course, all the guns and more, more, more. And Luke survives and just brushes some dust off his shoulder. It's on the first watch. I just can't figure out what's happening. It's a really great moment. And so Kylo's he's just had enough. And so he's coming downstairs to see him. And then we have some great dialogue there, too. Well, it is great, isn't it? Just the way the the first order kind of is is not only like hovering just above the fight scene; they've just kind of got everyone assembled. It's it's quite a sort of it's a powerful and great looking scene. Yeah, and uh, did you I think the line he says? Did you come back to say you forgive me? And he just replies, "No." <laughs> it's it's a real it's a really good fight scene as well because of course. Um, because it's force projection, Luke, he can do whatever he wants. It's like, you know, it's like when you're having a dream, you can, you can fly and do all the things you want. He, he like, he's putting mm-hmm. off some really crazy moves that leaves Kylo very, sh- very, very shocked. And eventually, of course, he realizes what happens. And I love that sort of little see you around kid moment as he leaves as well. But, um, 
in the background of this whole scene, we've also got um, Ray arriving, and this is this is the sort of the the final scenes of the movie as 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 Ray, you know, she can feel that Luke is gone. Leia can feel that Luke is gone. Luke's staring into the sunset, and you know, I'll tell you what, then that death hits me every time with Luke. It does with Han as well, but something about the Luke because he goes so quietly by himself, it almost almost hits me more somehow i don't know it's weird isn't it because on one hand we've just had luke kind of like pull off like an awesome um fan service moment but at the same time passing away and yeah i think it is a very sort of bittersweet moment um the amount the the ending this movie does leave me a bit perplexed and it's sort of even even trying to sort of finish our podcast here i guess it's sort of like the layer ray conversation that feels like the end and the the music even comes up to a crescendo where you would naturally expect the written and directed by ryan johnson credit to appear mm, but all of a sudden mm. we, we we spin off to uh, a random kid who's i can't even think was he on canto bite he was yeah, yeah. Of course, he's sweeping yeah. up yeah and I, I guess the reason that i'm not sure how i feel about it is because nothing ever came of that kid or at least not yet and i feel like if there had been some follow-through or something in the rise of skywalker it would have allowed that ending to have meaning but without it again it's a little disappointing this is one of those scenes for me that could be like leave it on the cutting room floor like yeah. I, it didn't do anything for me in fact it just reminded me of the terrible time i had on kento blight and taking me back there it wasn't any good but there's a moment before this that always throws me um, when uh, Ray meets Poe for the first time, and they're like, "Hey, oh, yes. I'm," and it's like, "Oh, I'm, <clears throat> I'm Ray," and it's like, "Oh, I know." Like it's like I was like, it always is like, "Oh God, you guys haven't met yet." Like we're kind of two movies deep, and two of our main characters haven't actually met. It's so surprising. It is surprising, isn't it? It's really because because Finn is the 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 gateway between the the two of them yeah, in that the respect. Is the bridge? Sorry, mm-hmm. yeah. So um, yeah, I. Th- like I think, you know, as we sort of look back in summary, I would go on the record and say of all 11 Star Wars movies, this is my number one directed movie in terms of the direction, the feel, the contrasting, the the angles, the cinematography, all of that, I think. I really rate Ryan Johnson. I actually think he is absolutely top tier. I mean, really top tier. But... As a, as a writer director, I think the story works so much in this movie so well, but there's too much that doesn't, and it tires me, and it fatigues me, and it sometimes annoys me, and sometimes upsets me a little bit with this movie, and it's a, it's a real shame for me. I think I've gone on a journey with this movie. I originally was definitely in the camp, like a large portion of the of the internet, who didn't like it. I think over time I've come to appreciate it more for some of the different things that it's trying. And I think overall you're right. Like this is one of the most sort of beautiful Star Wars movies and it, it really tries to do some different things. It pushes the boundaries. It's got some great um, special effects. Uh, I think there's some interesting story elements in here. I kind of wish that we just either had the J.J. Abrams version or we had the or, or we had this version. Yeah. Because 
I think it would have been better to kind of see some of Ryan Johnson's ideas play out across three movies Correct. than to just have them kind of randomly in the middle. And I'm just, I'm so surprised that so many of these ideas were allowed to, to land. And then just with what happened with our sort of final director, just, it, it just so surprising. And I, I, in hindsight, I bet there's a whole bunch of people kind of wishing they made slightly different decisions. Oh, it seems like a really straightforward decision that when you, when you buy, well, Disney, you have bought the rights and Lucasfilm, right, go and make a sequel trilogy that you have that overriding high level plan that encompasses all three, you know, you've got a trilogy. And so I just, I just feel like from a writing stance, you've got to have some big plot points that, that, that as the owners of the, of the, of the IP, you have to sort of say, these are things that are going to happen and you can write to your heart's content within it. But having someone sub in and sub out, which is essentially what we've got because we go back to JJ Abrams, um, which obviously we will talk about in our next podcast. But um, at this stage on reflection, it, I think what, ups, well, upsets me, what bothers me is the reputation reputational hit that Ryan Johnson got because of The Last Jedi. I mean, in actual fact, he has proven with Knives Out and other movies, he is an exceptional writer and director. It's just coming in on the back of something and only knowing you can only take it so far. That's that's a hard ask. Yeah, I, I think I'd love to see uh, a, a cut of this movie that kind of like cuts out some of the unnecessary bits at which is probably, you know, you could probably argue over for years, and maybe tries to kind of tighten it up and kind of align it to the other two movies, only because this is kind of the outlier. And it might sort of end up shaving 30 minutes off the movie, and it might sort of feel quite short, but I wonder whether it would just feel like a, a better package. And I I think you're right. It's it's unfortunate for Ryan Johnson that this, this definitely would have hurt his career. Mm-hmm. This definitely would have hurt sort of future projects. It's probably, you know, his current Star Wars project is kind of in a bit of an unknown status. And it's it's not fair because I think he, he could do this, but it's I think it's just it's I think it's hard to hard to play in the middle. Yeah. Oh, it is. That's a really it's hard to play in the middle. Um before we get into our rankings, um we've talked a little bit what we might change. The other thing that I didn't mention earlier, which I would throw in there is and obviously we've talked about Phasma, but the other character who was big for me in The Force Awakens is is, is General Hux. And I thought he was so strong in The Force Awakens and that, you know, we always talk about that speech he made, you know, this is the mm. last day of the Republic. But in this movie, right from the start, he gets made into a bit of a laughing stock. And I'm not sure how I feel about it, even though I'm also laughing at the scenes in which the humour is playing out because I need... I need him to be serious and like imagine trying to do that with Peter Cushing as as, as Tarkin, trying to throw that humour in there. You know, it's just a, an unpalatable thought. I've always, I feel like I have an uneasy relationship with Star Wars and comedy because on one hand it can kind of work really well, but on the other hand I, I just don't know if I want it. And it, to be honest with you, it does make me like a little bit nervous for uh, the Taika Star Wars um, stuff because I think the humor is going to be there I think I'm going to laugh but I I think what's timeless about the original trilogy is 
the humor is just sort of like light touch. It's not kind of the crux of a lot of the conversations. Yeah. It's, it's where you use that humor. I think it's using it uh, yeah, with the droids, with the Ewoks, with people in Jabba's palace, with the, with the Jawas mm. or in the Mandalorian, the, 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 the sort of like the, with, with Grogu and just different, I think there's a time and a place for it, but having essentially your top ranking, I nearly said Imperial, what's the word? First order officer mm. be, I can I can hear you. Can you hear me? It's it's a bridge too far, and so that would be the other thing I would change. Was there anything else for you? I think the the number one number number one is I would never have Luke throw away the lightsaber. Like yeah. I just I thought that's just number, and we've already talked about it, but it is too out of character for me. It doesn't align with anything that we know about the Jedi Order, about Luke, around everything that's going on in this universe. Um, and I think that the other things I wouldn't necessarily change, I think I'd just cut down. Like, I think a lot of the, the Kanto Bite stuff, I think, mm. um, you know, obviously the, the kid at the end, because if those threads aren't going anywhere, I like there's so many characters already in, in this movie. And on one hand, this is where Ryan Johnson's kind of been dealt a rough hand, right? Like, two, there's a lot of big players uh, there's you've only got two-ish hours to kind of like bring them all together and I think you want to be kind of tightening up not kind of adding more onto your plate correct I think it's a, a great observation a great place probably to finish then but of course our final our final job here is to to add this movie into our ranking with just one more movie to go so we now have 10 Who's, who, who talks first do I talk first or you talk first Oh, uh, well, I, I can go if you like. So do you want a reminder of my list or? I think just give us the list with the new one inserted, I reckon. Okay. Okay. So number one. One? Fire Strikes Back. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're going. Yeah. I'm, I'm going top. I'm going. Well, you want me to go from the bottom? Uh, this is, this, all right, I'll go from this, the bottom. This is great planning on our part, right? <laughs> all, right I'll go, all right. Erase that from your minds, everyone. I'm starting from the bottom. Number 10, Attack of the Clones. Number nine, The Last Jedi. Whoa. Number eight, The Force Awakens. Number seven, The Phantom Menace. Number six, Solo. Five, Return of the Jedi. Four, Revenge of the Sith. Three, A New Hope. Two, Rogue One. And one, Empire Strikes Back. It's I'm I'm sorry, Ryan. I'm I, I have to put it contextually with the other movies. It just doesn't fit as well, even though I think this has a lot of potential when I compare it to everything else. They've got a better offering. Wow. Well, now I see why you wanted to start from one and go the other way. Um, okay, so so my my ranking uh, from 10, Attack of the Clones. So we're in sync at least this far. Uh, the Phantom Menace, Revenge of the Sith, Return of the Jedi, The Last Jedi, The Force Awakens, Solo, Rogue One, A New Hope, and Empire Strikes Back. So at this point, yeah, um, I, ha I certainly have it much higher than you, but uh, still way lower down than I expected it to be coming into a rewatch. I just feel like the rewatch is is just not doing it any credit, and um, I'm really, really curious to see where we put The Rise of Skywalker as well. I, yeah, I, I think I've got a I've got a feeling where it goes. I think the big differences between our lists is 
I think I'm giving more credit to the prequels, and you're giving, I think, more credit you, you to the obviously the the later series in the in the saga. Yeah, um, yeah. That's the, probably the, 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 stand, the standalone. Like I've got Solo yeah, way higher yeah. than you, and I've got Phantom Menace down lower. But it's hard because. Um, Despite all of the things that we've talked about, there's so much. Like I said, this is number one for me in terms of directing. Mm, There's another mm. list that that there's something that really lifts it. But if it had the right story, I feel like this could have this could have been breaking into the top five with that Mm, sort of direction. mm. But hey, it is what it is, as they say. Indeed, it is. Well, Paul, that probably brings us to the end of another Star Wars review. It does indeed. You never know. We might be reviewing the, the Rise of Skywalker next week. Um, thanks for tuning in once again. Also, a very special shout out to our Patreon producers, Samara Whiting King, Diana Kanawa, and Michael Chalmers. If you too would like to become a Patreon producer of the show, help keep the lights on here at Half Measures, then you can find those Patreon details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.